This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. In Season 2, Episode 18, Aaron Rodgers and I had the chance recently to talk to Dan Blank. And if that name sounds familiar to you, Dan is a coach but he's also known as an author in the football and soccer community. And I've had the pleasure to read, actually listen to the audio version of Soccer IQ Volume 1 and 2. And Dan is the author of those series of books, among others. He was named the women's head coach at Widener University in July 2018 and has over 20 years of collegiate coaching experience uh, significantly in the SEC, as well as Embry-Riddle University in Florida, among other places. And on a personal note, it was an absolute joy to talk to Dan. Uh, Dan and I actually went to the same undergraduate mater, uh, Bethany College, in the northern panhandle of West Virginia. And Dan and I like to refer to it as the Harvard of the northern panhandle of West Virginia. And although we were there at different times, uh, there was one thing that was pretty consistent, that the men's soccer side was competitive, was a regular in the NCAA tournament at the Division III level. It was almost this time a year ago where I listened to the audio version of Soccer IQ Volume 1 and 2 while I was on vacation with my family at the beach. And... I thought to myself uh, when I was listening to it, one, how much I enjoyed it and how practical virtually everything Dan said uh, in the book was to coaching football or coaching soccer. And I thought to myself that it would be fantastic to talk to Dan, never envisioning that this podcast would exist and uh, be something that I would you know, be a part of. And one of the really cool things about this podcast is being connected to people whose work that I absolutely admire in the soccer and football community. And the fact that they're willing to come on, talk about what they do, and just have conversations. And I think that's part of why this podcast has quite truthfully been quite successful, just because we try to make it a conversational type of format. So Dan, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I've included a link in the show notes to go to Dan's website, soccerpoet.com. And if you have a chance, uh, also check out some of the other books that Dan has written as well. Fantastic author um, and just one of the really, really good guys in the football and soccer community. I hope you enjoy season two, episode 18, the conversation that Aaron Rodgers and I had with the Widener women's head soccer coach and author, Dan Blank. Well, uh, Dan Blank, thank you so much for uh, joining the On the Touchline podcast. And, um, you know, as I was telling you in our, our pre-chat, that, uh, you know, it's, it's funny how, uh, what a, a small world the, the soccer world is or the football world and the fact that, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago of listening to the audio version of Soccer IQ, uh, Volume 1 and 2. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a soccer geek and a, a football geek that I took copious notes. So uh, <laughs> my, my, my wife was, we were sitting at the beach last year and uh, my wife was going, what are you doing? You're on vacation. And, uh, you know, picked up a, a really lot of, a lot of great tidbits, uh, obviously, from that book and, and whatnot. But it's a it's an honor to have you on the show, and, and thank you to Aaron uh, Rogers for uh, Aaron. You're like our booking agent. <laughs> 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 I should send you like a commission fee or something, you know? Yeah. But, um, no, it's okay. My pleasure. Yeah. So Dan, I think it's important. People have probably heard your name, and uh, you know, may have even read your books. But to know a little bit about your backstory and and kind of where your soccer or footballing journey began, and, and how you got to where you are now. Uh, uh, where my, my soccer journey started when I was uh, just before 
about a couple of weeks before I turned seven years old. And, um, you know, I it, immediately was in love with the sport. Um, eventually, you know, played my way up through rack and club and in college and then became a college coach uh, right out of college. Um, a few months after I graduated, I became the assistant or the graduate assistant at Wheeling Jesuit uh, College in Wheeling, West Virginia, and uh, bounced around some small NAI schools for about 16 years, and then um, eventually hooked on at Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi. And then uh, after I think it was our third season at Ole Miss, uh, my boss was hired as the head coach at the University of Georgia, and he brought me along with him. And uh, that run ended after the 2014 season. I decided to take a couple of years off and then um, just got back into it last. I, I actually accepted a job in the middle of last July uh, at a, a Division three school up near Philadelphia called Widener University, and uh, it, which was interesting because I literally did not meet my team until the first day of preseason. So uh, so that was that was interesting. I mean, I had I had no idea. I had no sense of evaluation. I'd watched a couple of games on, you know, the online, um, but it's, it's difficult to tell who's who. And so, uh, yeah, it was, that was interesting. The other, the other kind of funny part about that was it was the first time I met people who knew me as a writer before they knew me as a coach. So on that first day of preseason, I had kids and some of their parents coming up and saying, Hey, we've read your books and, you know, just couldn't believe you're coming to coach here. And I, it's, it's, it was weird. It was, it was good, but it was weird. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. So a, a very good soccer playing area. Sure. Yeah. Soccer, soccer was King. Um, you know, when I was growing up, so, uh, yeah. and this area has produced a, a lot of very good soccer players. So yeah, I was, I was fortunate to, uh, you know, to have such a passion for the game and, to be in a community that really um, helped that passion along. I always like to ask the question of guests, uh, what they were like as a player. And you're talking to two former goalkeepers, uh, one considerably better than the other. Uh, and, and the better one being Aaron uh, in <laughs> this case. That's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> he was the, uh, uh, I, I was going to say the Tim Howard of his time, but uh, maybe that, I don't know. No. <laughs> no, 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 minister of defense, you know, yeah. no, <laughs> oh gosh, but, Tim uh, <laughs> Dan, what were you like as a player? Well, I, I arrived at college as a forward and then they moved me. And this is all within like the first three weeks. Uh, they moved me back to midfield and then they moved me back to outside back. And I think if I played any longer, I probably would have been a goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I, I, I finished my career was mainly uh, either right back or, or center back. And I, w I wasn't super technical by any stretch. Um, I could I could deliver a, a pretty solid long ball. Um, and I was I was a pretty fierce tackler. You know, I was I was kind of a, I wasn't much of an artist. You know, I was I was more of the soldier mentality. And I think I'm correct in saying you played for uh, John Cunningham. At, uh, at Bethany College, right? I certainly did. Yeah, JC. Uh, JC was the uh, the head coach, and then we had a fantastic assistant coach in Graham Ramsey, who's uh, kind of a soccer legend. And uh, I, I learned more about soccer. I thought I had a pretty good handle on soccer when I got to college. And you know, after that first season, I was amazed at how much I had learned. You know, in hindsight, I was like, I really knew nothing um, tactically until I, until I started learning from Graham. Yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, JC, you know, John Cunningham is, uh, pretty fascinating to me. And the, um, so I was there, uh, in the, in the late nineties in the, you know, the, the era of success was sort of kind of coming to the, the bookend, I guess you could say. Yeah. And this was, you know, just a, a few years after the, uh, the national championship and, uh, things of that nature, but was very impressed uh, by the program and the, the, I mean, the number of PAC titles uh, consecutively. I mean, I want to say it got into like the twenties. It did. I think I think they w w ended up winning like twenty two in a row. I, it was so. I remember my uh, 
for a couple times. We won the conference. And I didn't even know it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we go into a game and just we won. And some afterwards, somebody said, well, we just won the conference again. I'm like, oh, really? You know, had no, nobody, nobody even taught. It was just assumed that you were going to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. It just, it's just another day at the office. So, yeah, it was a pretty dominant program for a while. I think, um, you know, I, I, we've been friends for a long time and, and I really, I really appreciate you as a, as a person and, and as a coach. And I think w- to knowing you personally, what is your favorite part of coaching? Gosh, there's, there's so much about it to love. Um, you know, I, I, I think kind of the best part is when you have an effect on, on players, um, you know, either off the field or, or, or on it. But when you, when you see them change for the better, uh, because of, of something that's happened in your relationship with them. So that's, you know, and that's, that's not something that you, it's not an instant thing, right? It's, uh, it's something that takes a while, but you know, that's, that's kind of the coolest part of it is, is knowing that in some, at least some small way, a player or as a player or student or a person has gotten better, um, because of something that you've done to impact that player's life. Um, I think that's ultimately the the greatest reward in, in coaching. Um, But, you know, I love, I love everything about it, man. I I love uh, preparing a team. You know, I I love the training sessions. Um, I I enjoy, I don't enjoy the, the, the scouting of opponents, but I enjoy imparting that knowledge onto my teams and, and seeing it make an impact on game day. Um, I think that's, that's really just uh, enjoyable. It's fun. It's rewarding. Um, you know, there's, there's just so much good and, and, and ultimately, you know, the relationships you develop with the players is just fantastic. You know, I, I'm still in touch with, with kids I coached in 1991, my first year and, um, not all of them, obviously, but you know, there's, you're going to get two or three or five, you know, special relationships from each graduating class. And it's great when, uh, you know, you, you stay in touch over that period of time. It shows that that it meant something. I think, yeah, I think that's so so important. The the relational aspect of coaching, and no matter what level you coach, you coach U nine to to professional. That that I think is what makes it so special. And you know, you have to you have to be someone that has empathy and cares to be successful. And you know, hearing you hearing you say that is it's so so important. It's so awesome. Um, what, you, you know, you, we know you're a writer and you're a, you're a very, very good writer. And, you know, I'm sure we can get into more about the books that you've written, the soccer books, but what, what was that inspiration like to say, I'm a, I'm a coach. I love coaching, but now I want to write these books on, on, you know, you write coaching books but there's so much more than coaching books. They're, they're soccer books. And I, and that's what I really appreciate about your book. So h- how did that inspiration come about? Well, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a story, right? So I remember again, back in my, my early days coaching at Wheeling Jesuit. And I remember going, the first tournament I ever went to was the WAGS tournament. And I remember, you know, watching games and noticing that the sophomores seemed to be more the most technical class out of the sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And then I go back a year later, and again, it was the sophomores. It was always the sophomores that seemed to be a little bit more technically developed, which was a good sign for the game, right? Like they were, there was something going on at the younger levels that was making better players with each passing year. Um, and then, and the other thing was the kids were getting more athletic, right? They just started looking different. And, you know, before, when I first started coaching, uh, female soccer players were pretty easy to identify. Like they were just, well, they were just basically, you know, I don't know how to say this. They weren't super um, fit. You know what I mean? They, they, mm-hmm. they just, they didn't have that kind of muscle definition and so forth. And with each passing year, you see the kids getting more athletic. You know, you could tell that, that soccer was more than just a hobby to them. Um, you know, they were, they were obviously doing strength training and things like that. And it kind of crossed my mind, like, look, they're getting more technical. They're getting more athletic. 
but they're not getting much smarter. Um, they're still making a lot of the same silly mistakes as they were when I first started coaching, you know, five years ago. So I had this idea that I was going to write down all like the, the most common mistakes that I could fix in five minutes. And I was, I wrote all these ideas down on index cards. And uh, the idea was that I would bring them out to my team before train or at the end of training, I would just bring out one card a day and it would be the tip of the day. We'd spend the last five minutes of training going over whatever that tip of the day was. Um, so I never actually did that, right? I wrote them down on the index cards, but I never managed to bring them out. Uh, but I held on to those index cards uh, for years and through several moves. And then, um, and my procrastination, I guess, kind of paid off because then the internet became a thing and then self-publishing became a thing. And, and uh, then self-publishing became an even better thing. And um, by the time I was at Ole Miss, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I, I want to have, it was, it was a bucket list thing, right? Like I didn't expect it to, to become a bestseller by any stretch. You know, I would have been happy if it sold like 50 copies. That would have been great. And, um, and then I, I, in 2000, when we moved to Georgia in 2010, I married into a, uh, a six-year-old daughter. And then it became a little more pressing, right? Like I wanted her to see something that her daddy had done. So I was like, all right, I got to stop fooling around with this. I, I got to actually turn this into a book. So, um, so I, I pressed ahead with it and, and, you know, what started, you know, the project that started in 1994 became a book in, I think, 2012. Um, so it was just a, just a, a long journey. And, um, I got, I got very lucky. Uh, you know, I've done almost zero promotion of this book. Uh, but the one thing I did do is I sent a copy to, uh, Dr. Jay Martin, who was editor of the soccer journal. And uh, that was in like April of 2013. In October 2013, the Soccer Journal comes out and Jay Martin uh, has a list of his top five books of the year and Soccer IQ was there. And all of a sudden, you know, it went from selling 35 copies a month. And I think that next month it sold like 900 and something copies. And then, uh, you know, just kind of took off from there. If you were to describe, Dan, um, <clears throat> maybe for someone listening to this that, uh, you know, hasn't done a deep dive with uh, Soccer IQ Volume One or Two. Uh, what would you say? You know, what what is a what does Soccer IQ look like? Uh, sort of in a very practical, you know, form. Maybe just three, you know, uh, things for a coach or for a player if they're listening to this of saying, this is what Soccer IQ or a Soccer IQ looks like on the you know on the pitch. All right. So so the book. Soccer IQ is basically I've cataloged the most common mistakes I, I've seen on the soccer field that can be correct. And, and, you know, it's not a technical book. It doesn't tell you to, you know, which part of, the, of your foot to receive the ball with or anything like that. But it gives, you know, a lot of very practical advice, you know, about hey, this is what a passing angle is. Um, you know, this is this is how to play when you have a lead with five minutes to go or you're trailing with five minutes to go. Um, it's, it's stuff that can be like read a half an hour before the game and then implemented immediately. Um, but it's just, you know, you see players make these decisions, these, these snapshot decisions. And you think, you know, that kid's clever, that kid gets it. And I, I was trying to, you know, help everybody else flatten out the learning curve so they could be a kid that gets it too, you know, um, there's there's one chapter it's called the shallow end and it's it's basically like we've all had that player who get, starts dribbling forward and you know maybe she beats the first player and then she's coming up on the you know a, a gang of like three or four opponents and instead of turning around she just tries to plow her way through all those those players and inevitably loses the ball and and all's for naught and so i'm like you know it's you got to realize when you're getting into the deep water and just like when you were a kid you know, when the water got too deep, what did you do? You turned around, you swam to the shallow end. And, um, you know, I, I've seen players change after reading that chapter. You know what I mean? Like, all right, here's a kid who, who can constantly would dribble herself into that wall of opponents. And then all of a sudden she stops the ball, turns around and goes back to the shallow end and your team keeps the ball, you know, and that's, you could, and you knew 
that if she hadn't read that chapter, she wouldn't have made that decision. So, um, you know, that's, those are the kinds of things I try to address. I had a, uh, a full team of those uh, this past year. That, uh, <laughs> they, they just wanted to keep swimming in the damn deep end. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, know, you know, what's funny is I, I get a lot of emails from coaches, right? And the, the thing about a lot of them say about Soccer IQ is that they could assign pretty much any chapter to one or two or three players on their team, right? Like, oh, you're talking about this kid. You know, or, it, it, you know, this Susie's got to read this chapter because it's it's clearly about, you know, it's her. It's her to a T. So, you know, you read these chapters and you think, yeah, this is this is so and so's chapter. Right. This is she makes this mistake all the time. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny because I think everybody can relate to that if you've been coaching for a year or two. Well, I always love the uh, the chapter about doing the other team's job or the thought about doing the other team's job. And um you know, again, besides having a team that wanted to swim in the deep end, um, I always would joke with my uh, fellow coach that, you know, our the boys that we were coaching, they're too nice, you know, and what we're asking them to do, like, don't chase after the ball if it goes over the touchline, like, yeah, leave it, guys, <laughs> you know, like, that's not your responsibility to go after that. And I've even had that conversation with my own son. Um, I, I'm curious for a sec, Dan, about what are you like at a training session or what do you like, uh, you know, on match day? Um, you know, just describe your demeanor. Well, it's, it's changed. Um, uh, you know, I've working in the sec was a very high stress situation. So, um, I, I, I it kind of changed me a little bit. And now, now I, I've, when I took this, this job at Widener, like I've, kind of made a, a deal with myself. I'm like, be a teacher. That's your job. You know, don't, don't sweat the results. Just be a teacher, teach the game. Well. Um, so I, I try to stay as calm as possible. And I think that's, that's, I think that's the, the, the presence you got to present to your team anyway. Um, I am demanding, but I'm also, I have enough sense to understand that a player who shoots wide of the goal wasn't trying to miss the goal. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm pretty forgiving of, of technical errors um, uh, unless they're just silly. You know what I mean? Um, but I, my thing is, you know, soccer, soccer is such a player's game, right? Like there, I don't think there's a sport where the coach has less influence on game day than our sport. So, you know, you're, you've got to get your, your message across in training. You know, you, you got to prepare your team, um, kind of one of the metaphors I, I think of is like being a soccer coach is kind of like being a parent, right? Um, the, the training sessions are where you do the child rearing and you're teaching them how to work and play well with their teammates and, and so forth. And, and then on game day, you know, you get to see how badly you screwed up your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I try to be, I, I try to maximize every, you know, last second of training. You know, I don't, I don't ever want to lose a game because I got outworked at training or I was unprepared at training. You know, I, I try to squeeze uh, the orange for every drop of juice when it comes to, to the training sessions, because ultimately on, on game day, you know, I'm not going to be much of a factor. What, what are the takeaways that you have? I mean, you've had the privilege and, and uh, to, to coach at, different levels as you alluded to earlier what are the takeaways from coaching at those different levels and and maybe you just kind of talked about the the pressures of the sec as opposed to to maybe widener what are the lessons that you've learned from that (laughs) that's all that's a whole other podcast loaded question right yeah there's there's (laughs) there's a lot of lessons um you know and, and i think each level has its obviously its own um you know, pros and cons, uh, the, the SEC, uh, you know, you're starting with some pretty polished players, right. That, that come in, um, to your program. So it's, you know, it's, it's much more, I think of a, of a tactical focus on, on training. Um, you know, it currently, or, you know, and when I was in the NAI, we had to, we had to spend a lot more time on, on the technical side of things as well. Um, 
one of the things that's that's interesting to me, and uh, and th- and this is kind of a kind of a culture thing, you know. So I I took this job at Widener, and one of the first things I learned was the team had set up a store to buy its own training gear, right? They set up an online store through Under Armour, and the kids can go and they, they not only can they they had to go in and, and purchase their own training gear, and I was thinking like wow, you know, what a difference from, you know, you're, you know, you know, when, when days of Kentucky, you know, that, that day in preseason where it's like, you know, Christmas and August where all of a sudden (laughs) everybody's got like $1,500 of free Nike gear. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's cool. It's cool to work with this group now, man. They're, They're so not spoiled. They're very, um, they're very interested in just learning and getting better. None of them are worried about going pro or, or getting a look by the national team. Um, most of them have a job if, and many of them have two jobs. So it's just, it's just a different kind of outlook from the player. That's, uh, that's enjoyable. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it, it, soccer's still fun at that point. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that I have evolved in so much over, over my time coaching collegiately is, is you just hit it. It's got to be fun. It still has to be fun. And, and if they can't find joy in what they're doing, it makes it too laborious. And even when you go to Georgia or Kentucky or, or whatever power five school it is, if those players don't find joy in it, they're never going to reach the potential that they have. And it's, it, it is so nice to see the most um, basic value being appreciated of, of joy and enjoyment. And, and I think that's, I think that's a lesson that, that any level, again, U9, U10, all the way up to the collegiate game that, uh, that's so important to continue to impart, um, on, on these, these players. Um, and so I, I love that. Yeah. My, my well, thought, let me jump in. Thought, oh, my, this is one that, before I forget this, one of my, my kind of yeah, go. Know, call it a mantra or whatever is, you know, I, I want kids looking forward spending spending their day looking forward to to soccer practice in the evening and then i'd like them to be just a little bit sad when it's over mm-hmm. right like it, it should be the favorite it should be their favorite part of the day 100 percent. i love that um well and uh, i was talking with someone recently so we were talking about teams and um you know a, a variety of sports that seem to do do well uh when it comes to that cultural piece and uh, the person I was talking to actually brought up the Golden State Warriors and that one of their team values is joy and how different that is. So, right, they're playing for an NBA championship right now, um, you know, a possible, you know, dynasty in the making, um, have some of the best players in the league. But yet <clears throat> Steve Kerr and the, the leadership team, you know, have identified joy as something that is important to them. And. I love what you got both of you, you know, had said there about making it fun, uh, walking away where you want a little bit more. And maybe that's a, a good segue into Dan, do you think that um or I, I guess what is your thought on culture? Uh do you allow the the players to drive it? Um are you the one sort of setting the agenda when it comes to the culture of your program? Or is it sort of this kind of, hey, let's meet in the middle? Um, you know, and kind of see what your values are, what my values are, and kind of find that common ground and, uh, and kind of work from there. Okay, so just, just to be clear, um, this is my first year as a head coach this past year. 2018 was my first year as a head coach since 2006, I think. So um, I haven't been really driving a culture since then as a head coach. Um, and, and this year, to be honest, I haven't paid – I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it just because I, I needed to just learn my kids. Right. So, um, I still, I still try to give kids as much responsibility as possible. Um, you know, I, I, my kind of thought is the more, the more I'm thinking about just soccer, the better off we're all going to be. Um, so I try to, you know, I put, the players in charge of things that are going to develop leadership skills, right? Like, and, and any project is going to help with that. So, you know, I put our freshman class in charge of, uh, 
organizing three community service projects this spring. So it was up to them to, to go out and find the organizations they wanted to work with and then arrange, you know, all the logistics of it and then execute. Um, so, but more, to, more to your topic. When I, when I was a head coach at Embry riddle, which is where a couple of my books are kind of more based out of, I kind of set the, the guidelines for the culture and, and then I would turn it over to, for, to the players for execution uh, as much as humanly possible. Um, and I, you know, I try to, I try to make, let them make as many big decisions as I felt, you know, the, the program could, could, could handle. Mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated uh, along all of our coaching journeys when, uh, you know, we run into a, a bit of adversity and, um, you know, I, I think the, fantastic thing about the game of football or soccer is that um, it is a game filled with adversity, right? 90 minutes is uh, basically what that is uh, of adversity and how do you work through it and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm curious along your, your coaching journey, um, you know, because you've been a variety of places, um, you know, some really high profile places, some, some uh, powerful, you know, athletic conferences that have a lot of cachet here in the, uh, the U.S., and I'm, I'm wondering if you've ever, you know, when you've encountered that adversity, what that was like for you as a coach. Um, and that could be in a variety of roles as a head coach or an associate coach or assistant coach or graduate assistant or whatever, of kind of how you work through that and uh, maybe what advice you would offer to, to fellow coaches out there. <laughs> Man, you're asking some, <laughs> some uh, <laughs> thesis level questions, my friend. Um, <laughs> It's that Bethany education, you know. Put, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I have to tell them that when they try to hit me up for money, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, my greatest adversity was um, the last couple of years at Georgia, uh, knowing that you know there was an excellent chance that we were going to be canned. So it was a very stressful uh, couple of years, you know, going to work with uh, kind of feeling like there's an ax swinging over your head is, is no fun. And, um, and to be honest, you know, that's when, when the, when the ax finally fell, like I was, I was a tiny bit relieved, right. At least now I knew, you know, and, and it was time to kind of move on with the rest of my life. Um, and, and handling that was difficult. And, and to be honest, I faked it a lot. Right. I tried to I tried to put on my best, you know, happy face as often as possible. But, you know, it was it was difficult when you you wake up in the morning on a game day and your first thought is, please don't lose. Right. That's that's not a that's not an enjoyable existence. Um, and, you know, I just I battled through it the best I, I could. I, I tried to stay true to my values. You know, we I didn't cut corners. Um, I certainly didn't mail in my effort. As a matter of fact, you know, I worked as hard as I ever did. And, um, you know, I tried to, I tried to write the ship the be- as best I could. Um, but at the same time, I know there were days where, and moments where I, you know, I just couldn't keep it in. So um, it, I, I look back at that last season at Georgia and I'm like, it couldn't have been any fun to be around me for on, on at least on, on occasion. Um, because I was so stressed out about, you know, gosh, I got a family to support and I'm about to lose that. Um, you know, and, and in the interim, you know, I had never intended to write more than one book, <laughs> but um, I was like, I was thinking, gosh, if we get fired, I, I better build myself a parachute. So I, I cranked out, I think four books in the next two years um, just to, just to, to, you know, pad my landing a little bit. So it was a, uh, it was a very stressful time. And to be honest, when it was over, I didn't, I, I was done with coaching. I didn't know if I was done forever, but I wanted to step away for a while. So that's why I ended up moving to the Gulf coast of Florida. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about soccer. I uh, tried to spend my days catching fish and uh, you know, until, until I was ready to get back into, uh, into coaching. Listen, you know, you, you, you talked about that, the, the, uh, the books and, You've written so many books and there's so many different varieties of soccer books. And and it's hard to kind of 
define your books and your writing style because they're coaching books, but they're not really coaching books. They're, they're not the genius of your books is in their simplicity. And I, I greatly appreciate that because if you, if you read those books, somebody might read them and go, well, that's pretty simple. But if you really read it and you look at the nuance, it is very genius. And I think I, I really appreciate that. And so many books, Soccer IQ 1 and 2, the one that I really enjoy as a college coach is, is Rookie. And every year I recommend that book to our incoming class. Uh, unfortunately, Dan, sorry, I don't have the budget to be buying it for all, the, <laughs> <laughs> for all the freshmen, but we we recommend it to them. And I recommend it to to returning players as well. And I think you actually mentioned that um, in the, in the book promo, but, um, just the, the ideas that you have are, are phenomenal. And, and, and I really appreciate that. Uh, How much of your coaching is, is uh, your, your, your sense of humor? How do you, how do you relay that sense of humor in your coaching? Because you have it and in your books. And I I really love that. Well, I, I think so. So not everybody, gets my sense of humor, right? Like I'm pretty dry. Um, and so it's, it's funny. I'll, I'll say something and there'll be, there'll be some players who, you know, just laugh right away and others, you know, kind of like looking around, like, was that a joke or is that not a joke? <laughs> um, so yeah, I have a, I have a pretty dry sense of humor. It takes it. I, I don't think there's not much that can happen on a soccer field. That's going to make me genuinely, genuinely angry. Right. Um, uh, you know, I, I'll get, I'll get frustrated with a lack of effort or something like that. But uh, you know, after you're doing this for a while, um, you know, you, you learn what's important and, and what's not. So, um, you know, what you, you mentioned the, the books are simple and I honestly, I kind of attribute that to having to put together so many pieces of furniture and other stuff in my lifetime and just, and just reading, <laughs> just reading poor, poor instruction manuals, you know, don't, <laughs> and, don't go uh, to Ikea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So I'm like, I, I don't, I want to, I think if you read a, a how to book, it should be like a cookbook. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's kind of my writing style. It's, it's, there's very little, uh, uh, superfluous information, you know, it's just, look, these are, this is what's important. This is why it's important. And this is, this is why you should do it. Um, and then there's, you know, occasional joke thrown in there. Um, but people appreciate that, right? That's why you, you don't read a how to book for, you know, excess fluff. You, you read it because you want answers. And, uh, I think, you know, my style is very just basic, like, look, here's, here's the problem you're going to have. Here's the solution. And let's move on to the next problem you're going to have. Uh, so yeah, I, I, but I, I enjoy, I don't know a lot of big words so that, <laughs> that helps. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, I just try to write simple and I had a, uh, a writing teacher in college who said, uh, her name's, uh, Mrs. Cole. And she oh said, gosh. she said, <laughs> when you're, I took an expository writing, co- uh, class with her and she basically it was, look, if somebody landed here from Mars, would they be able to understand what you're trying to say and that's kind of that's kind of governed how i write like i, I want to make it so clear that it's it's you know practically fail safe but that's the genius of, i mean and, and i truly mean that that's the genius of those of the books that you write is in the simplicity because you can coach forever and you could have every qualification or whatever and you can read your book and if you you can you can get something out of it Every single one of them, and and I think that's uh, that's magic. It takes a special talent to be able to to do that, and I and I'm sure that it, uh, it it helps in your coaching because when you coach, the biggest part is relaying that information that's in your head in a easy way, in a in a um, digestible way for your players to be able to get it in a, in as quick as a snap, and yeah. I'm sure you're able to do that. Yeah, and I, I think one of kind of the unintended consequences of particularly soccer IQ is I think I've kind of streamlined the vocabulary of soccer for, for some people. You know what I mean? I get, I get that comment a lot uh, in emails. Like, I've, I've been trying to say this, but I didn't know the right words. 
Um, and so, you know, now everybody, you know, you, that you'll hear the expression seam ball or split or whatever, the, whatever the thing may be. And a lot of it is come from, you know, coaches who've, who've read the book and then they've passed that on to their players and so forth. So it's, uh, it's been interesting. One of the, one of the cool thoughts t- for me is that because a lot of coaches have, uh, have bought this book for their teams, right? Not you, Aaron, but a, a lot, of, <laughs> but, but, but a lot of, a, a lot of coaches buy this book for their team. And, um, it kind of occurred to me, like one of these days, you know, somewhere out there is, is the first boy or girl who has read soccer IQ, who's going to play in a world cup. You know what I mean? And I, I, I think that's, that's pretty cool. I'm probably never going to know who that player is, but he or she is out there. And I, that's, uh, that, that helps me sleep. At night. You don't think, you don't think that after the, the world cup championship and they're going to interview that player and they're going to say, what was your inspiration for playing soccer? Well, when I was 10, I read Soccer IQ, and it really <laughs> drove me to be the best I could be. <laughs> you know, natu- naturally, you would think that would happen, but... <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Ingrateful little kid. <laughs> Dan, I'm, uh, I'm so glad that you mentioned someone who uh, has had a, a pretty big impact on me and, and Robin Cole. Um, she was my, my freshman seminar uh, advisor and academic advisor for a period of time uh, as an undergrad and uh, <clears throat> took, I don't know, two or three writing courses from her and um, that piece about simplicity. And I think that is where we get it so often wrong, right? And I sort of was kind of chirping about this the other uh, couple of days ago with fellow coaches that like, I, I just see from time and time that, you know, there's coaches out there that just want the greatest and the flashiest and like the newest and, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's about knowing who you are, what you're about and being really good at it and just repeating the heck out of that message and the repetition of that. And, um, you know, in, in simplicity is not a bad thing. You know, and people sometimes th- think of that as like, you know, uh, I, I don't know, um, I don't know how I would describe it, but um, it, you don't have to overcomplicate it, people, right? Like, if there is one takeaway, that's w- that is exactly what I would say, um, because I think sometimes like people want to get into like, you know, complex terminology and just you know this sort of like very academic view of, uh, of football or soccer, and it's like. At the end of the at the end of the day, it's a pitch, a ball, and players. Sure, you know, I mean, you know, so I I appreciate that, and um, you know, so not related to what we just talked about, but I'm I'm curious in your time in the game, how you've seen players change, and the players that you're working with, and sort of what their needs are, and kind of uh, how they approach the game, you know, from when you started to to where they're at now. Okay, well. Uh- Gosh, that's a great question. And I can give you several um, kind of oh, well, a hodgepodge of, of different answers. Uh, first of all, like I said, uh, you know, and I, I've only spent one season coaching college men, right? I was an assistant coach for men and women at Bruton Parker in 1994. So I'm speaking strictly on, on my experience coaching the female gender. Um, I'll tell you right off the bat, kids are they, they're just physically better athletes than they were 25 years ago, right? They, they come out of high school more physically prepared. Uh, you know, they, they, they're in strength programs and, and they take it seriously, right? So that's, that's an obvious difference. Um, they watch soccer. You know, uh, that, that to me was a kind of a, an interesting ju- difference when I went from Embry-Riddle to Ole Miss. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I was coaching a W League team um, in Atlanta, while I was coaching, well, I was also coaching at Embry Riddle. So during the summer, I'd go up to Atlanta and coach this W League team, which was full of kids from UNC, Clemson, and some other, you know, Division One programs. And it was funny because you'd walk by their hotel room and they'd be watching ESPN. And that wasn't that wasn't necessarily the case uh, in my college job. Uh, now I find that, you know, I have a lot of kids on my team right now who watch soccer on television and enjoy it. You know. Uh, you know, then they all have their, their, their teams, you know, whether it's Barcelona or Man United or whatever. So they've become uh, fans of soccer as well, which I think is fantastic because all that's going to just help them, you know, develop as players uh, and as thinking players. 
one of the other things that's really noticeable is I think the coach has a bigger role now in players' lives. And I, and I think that's player driven, right? Um, you know, for example, when I, when I played for, for JC at Bethany, you know, it was, it was almost, I, I, I literally remember thinking at times, like, I don't even know why we have a coach. <laughs> like what's, what's a coach do? We could do this. Um, and as soon as I got on the other side of that fence, I realized what an idiotic <laughs> sentiment that was. But, um, but, but that, that said, JC wasn't the focal point of my life, right? He was, he was a soccer coach and I loved him and, and so forth. But these days I think players are more kind of, they look to their coach more for their non-soccer needs as well right? Like, like their emotional needs. And, and I don't know, I think you just become a, a more of a kind of a surrogate parent now than 20 years ago. Um, and I don't think, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's a, it's a different thing, but you've, you've got to be available and ready to handle issues that, you know, they don't, they don't tell you about when you go to your first coaching school. That's such a, such a good, good point. Because so much when we, when we think of when people ask that question, well, you coached 20 years ago, well, the players are more entitled or blah, blah, blah. You know, you hear all that, but, but your, your analysis of the coach being more of a focal point, that's, that's so, it's so right on. And how much do you, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that social media has some type of to play with that? Because that's one of the biggest things that's it's been fascinating me over the last few years is that the players that we're coaching now do not know life without social media. They, we all here, we lived our lives. We were, you know, in college when there was no social media, things like that. These players don't know anything about social media. So is that they're always looking for external um, affirmation. And because we are the coach of that team that they're looking for us for that affirmation. And then when, maybe when we were playing, as you said, Dan, we didn't really care. We're just like, we're just going and playing and whatever the coach said, he's the one that's running practice or whatever. And now that they're always looking for that affirmation and are they looking to us for that affirmation? Not socially, not just for soccer. I, I don't yeah, know. I'm just open-ended. And that's a, that's a great point. I listened to uh, your, your interview with Becky Burley and I thought it was fantastic. And I thought, you know, she made a great point, like the coach who figures out how to maximize social social media is going to be ahead of the game. Right. Like and but but I, I agree, you know, and they've never they've always had instant feedback, instant affirmation. And, and let's face it, they've they've grown up in a generation where parents, you know, that the helicopter parent is is, is it's actually a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're you know, they're they're very. Um, they're obviously very influenced. And one of the things like I've noticed is I don't, I don't want to say they're social media savvy, but they're social media, like for, for lack of a better word, opportunistic, right? Like it's, they, (laughs) they walk around and it just reminds me of that Taco Bell commercial, you know, with the hard hand sunset or whatever it's called sunset hard hands. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Like they're, they're so ready to pounce on a, on a, on a photograph. Like they, they, they look at the world as, as photo ops in a sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's had a, a, a big impact on, you know, how they, how they just approach life in general. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's no denying it. I here's, I, I was thinking about Becky's comment and I was like, gosh, you know, I want to know what that is. What's that, what's that magic bullet for social media that a coach can capitalize on? And I could, I couldn't think of it. Um, but the one thing that surprised me is how it hasn't been capitalized on for recruiting nearly as much as it, as it could be. Right. Like there's, <laughs> I, I, there's so much available to, the clever coach who partners with whoever, somebody else who's clever, <laughs> who can develop a story because that's like, that is recruiting, right? Recruiting is, is the story you're going to tell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's so many great ways. Like if, if I'm coaching at, at USC, um, I, I'm hooking up meetings with the, somebody who's in the, in the film school there, right? Like let's, let's make a story. Let's make a two minute story about our program 
that's gonna go viral. You know what I mean? Um, and it, it's, it's, it's gotta be some, so the easiest story to tell is, is tradition. Right. And that's, but not everybody has that. Not everybody has that winning tradition. So what do you do to, to kind of up your brand? Because that's what every kid wants, man. Like they want to be, they want to feel like they're, they're joining a part of something bigger than themselves and something that's important. And, you know, the best story is, is what's going to win some of those recruiting wars. So I, I think that the, the coach who learns to, to capitalize on, on using social media to tell these really good stories is somebody who's going to, who can just jump, you know, leapfrog their program. I don't know if yeah, that makes you, any sense. Yeah, no, it did. Absolutely. <laughs> it really got, he was taking notes down. It was, <laughs> it was making me think. I'll give you, I'll give you, an, I'll give you one example. Like, so this is the problem with being me or one of the problems with being me is like, I'm fascinated by language. I'm fascinated by stories. And I'm always like kind of on the, on the lookout for, these opportunities. When I, we were at Georgia, I, I actually wrote out uh, like a two page script for, uh, it was going to be like a 60 second video that was going to play off the hunger games. Um, and it was going to be kind of that scene at the end of the first hunger games, uh, where they're going to eat the berries and they just say, you know, together, together. And, um, and we, you know, we happened to have a kid who looked quite a bit like Jennifer Lawrence. I'm like, this would be a great little, thing for us to do. The problem is, you know, I got to watch eight hours of video a day, coach a team, you know, recruit all that other. I just never, never got around to doing it, but I like something like that, that can just, you know, propel your, your program into the, into the spotlight for a couple of days. And you, you know, you stack a couple on top of uh, that and then you're off to the races. Yeah. I I mean, I, if anything, the, um, you know, presence of that is only going to heighten going forward. And, I mean, who knows what the next great uh, social media platform is, but, uh, you know, some, some whiz kid that's probably 10 is probably, th- you know, thinking it up now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you're exactly right. And I think, um, you know, so you've been around a, a wide variety of coaches and wide variety of experiences. Who do you admire uh, in this profession? And it could be collegiately, it could be professionally, you know, it could be a coach in Europe. Um when you look at them and you go, whoa, like he or she really gets it right in terms of what they're trying to do. So I've been awed by Anson Dorrance since I first started coaching. Um, like he's just got such a mastery of language and such a, such a command of the room. Um, and like, and the other thing is I understand what he's done for this game. You know, like, I think we all should be sending him a, a Christmas card every year because if, if not for what he did at Carolina, you know, college, women's college soccer is probably a solid 10 years behind where it is now. Um, you know, he parlayed the Carolina team into the national team job and won a world cup. And, you know, so many of the things that really ignited the sport in this country can be traced directly back to him. So, you know, I, I, I just, and he, you know, if, if you've ever read the book, the man watching, it's just a fantastic story. Um, and it, it really kind of goes into his life. And, uh, so I, I, he's somebody I admire and, and not just because of, you know, God knows how many national championships he's won, but I just think he's very good at, at what he's done. And he's really, he's really pushed the game forward more than anybody else. Um, so that's one. Um, there's a, gosh, there's a, a lot of, I admire coaches who can get it done consistently and, or at different places. Right. I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, and it doesn't matter what sport, like John Wooden at UCLA, like what a, you know, when you're, I think he won 11 national championships in a row or something like that. Like that's a, that's a pretty astonishing feat. Um, and circling back to your point earlier about simplicity, you know, Wooden ran the same practice for 20 straight years, like mm-hmm. e- every day, same practice. Um, so, yeah, he kept it as simple as possible. And, and man, did that pay off? Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I admire coaches who uh, Jurgen Klopp right now. Like, how much fun would it be to play for that guy? 
you know, you can, you can tell he's very passionate about his job. He's very passionate about his players. Um, you know, so, and, and he, he's figured out how to make guys work really freaking hard for each other. Uh, so I think that's fantastic. So there's, I, heck, there's a, I could probably rattle off a zillion names. I noticed you didn't say Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah. Aaron, I've watched, <sighs> I've watched Aaron coach and, and just fantastic field presence, right? <laughs> just really, really. I mean that. I, me- I remember we were, I remember watching you in San Diego at the, we we're doing a little oh, yeah. ID, ID thing That's before right. the, uh, before the surf cup. And uh, I was I was very impressed uh, oh, by Aaron's rapport with the players and, and how he got his message across. So yeah, I'd you know what Aaron. you know what I thank you, Dan. That's really kind. But you know what I remember the most about that was driving in that convertible car up and down the coast. And oh, we, yeah. went, we went and ate at that taco shop. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot all about that. I well, I actually remember when when we were planning to do this um, this uh, <clears throat> podcast. I was thinking about that. And I was like. Man, I remember that trip vividly and going up and down in that. I got that convertible car. I don't know how that happened. On and we went and ate at the taco shop in Carlsbad, California. Yep, yep absolutely. That was a lot of fun. Good times. Yeah, good memories. Aaron also said he's going to schedule uh, Carolina here in the next season <laughs> or two. And, uh... Can can I can I tell you I did that when I was. Uh... <laughs> So I got a, this is a great story. I was at Bruton Parker College, an NAI school, and we had a phenomenal team. It was all international kids for the most part. And so I scheduled, so you schedule a year in advance, right? So I scheduled Carolina. Well, Bruton Parker was in a, re, a really small school in a really small town. There wasn't much going on. So about half my internationals left after that first season. Well, Carolina was still on the schedule. Now, don't get me wrong. I still had a fairly decent team. You know, I think we actually made it to the NAIA Final Four that year, but we weren't the team that was there when I scheduled the game. So anyway, we go up to UNC to play. And like a week earlier, Duke had ended their 99-game win streak. So, you know, (laughs) they're pissed. (laughs) Plus, Plus, it's homecoming. So every coach has that game where you think like, gosh, if I could just get to halftime zero, zero, you know, that'd be something. So the game kicks off place is packed for homecoming game kicks off in about 18 seconds into the game. This girl named Nicole Roberts, who's like one of the fastest living people in college soccer goes flying down the right side. She goes to cross the ball. She mishits hits it. It sails over our goalkeeper and into the goal. We're down one zero. So the crowd goes nuts. It's the loudest, it's the loudest I'd ever, you know, I'd ever heard a crowd at one of my soccer games. Well, the crowd dies down for a second. And then I, then I hear the crowd kind of start roaring again. And I'm like, what, what are they doing? I look across the field. There's a couple of kids running around throwing t-shirts out. So they're going to throw a t-shirt out after every Carolina goal. So <laughs> about three minutes later, two nothing. And again, the kids run and throw the t-shirts around. Eh, five minutes later, three nothing. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at one of my players, this girl named Briny Deuce. Um, <laughs> and I said to her, like, they're going to run out of T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, end up lo- we end up losing seven nothing. But in the last, like, 30 seconds of the game, we get a breakaway. Our very best player is in alone on goal with the Carolina keeper. And... Uh, she, she slips the ball past the keeper, and it's just like one of these slow rollers, and it hits the outside of the post and goes out, out for a goal kick. And I was like, oh. I, was, I was semi-thankful because I'm pretty sure had that ball gone in, the players I had on my bench would have charged the field. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the last thing I wanted to see in a 7-1 loss was, uh, was that, you know? <laughs> But yeah, that's that was funny, man. My kids were getting their picture taken in front of the scoreboard. I, I mean, I just wanted to go crawl in a hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dan, uh, I can't thank you uh, enough for coming on the uh, latest episode of On the Touchline podcast. And if if folks want to connect with you or learn more about the books you've written uh, or what you're doing at, at Widener, um, how can they do that? All right. So I have, um, gosh, I got so many different handles 
but my, my website is soccerpoet.com. That's kind of the mothership for everything. Um, and that's my handle on Twitter as well. And, uh, you know, from there, it's easy enough to, to track me down. Good deal. And uh, if folks are interested in, in purchasing the book, all the, the major outlets, uh, including Amazon, uh, and uh, if you're like me and uh, prefer an audio book uh, when you're either at the beach or driving around or whatever, uh, that is also available. And um, yeah, whoever you got to narrate uh, Soccer IQ, Dan, good job, because uh, <clears throat> it was uh, incredibly interesting to, uh, to listen to. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting process. You get to you post a job and all these narrators audition, like you, you put a, a couple paragraphs of your work up there. And I think I had probably 60 narrators audition for the job. And almost every one of them sounded like really smooth voice. Like they're like, they should be selling timeshares. You know I mean? <laughs> and and I, I wanted something a little, a little more gruff, you know? And, uh, and so Don Bracci, uh, I, he was one of the uh, narrators. And as soon as I heard him, I'm like, this is my guy. So, uh, yeah, I was lucky to find Don. Nice. Well, um, thanks again for, for, uh, coming on the show and, um, yeah, all the best, man. Uh, I, I wish you nothing but success in, uh, you know, at Widener and, uh, with, uh, any future books you might have, uh, in the pipeline and, uh, with the books you have out, uh, it's been a, it's been an honor to have you on the show. Hey guys, I really appreciate you having me. I, I thank you very much. I, I enjoyed my time and, and, uh, would love to do it again sometime. Want to save 10% on your next DukeTigBrand.com order? Use the promo code Broadwater19 at checkout. D-U-K-T-I-G-Brand.com. If you've listened to the show before, you know how much I love DukeTigBrand. I use their Excel notebook, I use their waterproof notebook, and absolutely swear by their products. Go to duketigbrand.com right now, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com, and save 10% at checkout on your next order. From apparel to logos to coaching notebooks, Duketig brand has got you hooked up. duketigbrand.com, promo code broadwater 19 check out. A big shout out to Dan Blank for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And Dan, if you have future books or projects coming back or coming up, I should say, uh, would love to have you on the show uh, again in the future or just to, to talk shop. Uh, you're always welcome back. I wish you a whole lot of success at Widener uh, as you get going with the fall season here pretty soon. So you are going to get three episodes of this show this week, and this was the first of the three. Uh, big week for the show in terms of really high-quality guests, content, um, things that if you're a regular to this show, uh, I really think that you're going to enjoy. This podcast is available on 12 different podcasting platforms. So whatever platform you prefer, whether it be Stitcher or Google, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, uh, it would mean the world that if you subscribe to the show, just so you don't miss ep uh, future episodes that come out. And there will be some weeks where you do get that third episode that I mentioned before. Also, too, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go there right now, leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. It helps more and more people find out about the On the Touchline podcast. And the absolute goal of this show is to make the football and soccer world just a little bit smaller for you, the listener, to connect you to people and to understand their stories. Uh, that really at the heart of what I'm trying to do as the host of this show is to connect you to people in their story. And hopefully we've, we've done a, a pretty decent job of that thus far. So leave a five-star rating in a brief review for the show. And last but not least, would absolutely love to connect with you on social media. So whether you listen to the show on any of the platforms that I named, reach out. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SoccerCoachJB. 
and would love to connect with you that way. So share the show out, make sure you tag me and we can start a conversation that way. And last housekeeping item before I go. In the show notes, you will find a link to the On the Touchline podcast website where all archived episodes of the show live. On the homepage, you'll find a registration where you can plug in your email. It's as simple as just putting in an email and hitting submit to subscribe to the On the Touchline newsletter, which will be coming out in late June. And you'll receive that on a monthly basis. So go to the show notes, click on the link to the website. That'll take you there. Put in your email, hit submit. You're good to go. All right, guys, my time is about up. Just want to say thanks for listening and new episode coming your way this Wednesday. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. I'll catch you guys real soon. This has been the On the Touchline podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.